0: Welcome to Music Made Me, the TuneCore podcast. I'm Kevin Cornell, today uh, host of today's episode. As we've mentioned recently, we're excited to announce that in the next few months, our artists will have reached a billion dollars in download and streaming revenue since TuneCore launched in 2006. It's a really big number. So to celebrate, all of our episodes this summer are going to be dedicated to helping you as an artist turn your music into a sustainable, thriving career. Uh, sometimes. that includes figuring out ways to get the job done on a budget that leaves little to be desired and you know we're in the diy business so one important thing artists who are perhaps still getting started in their music career have to face is recording um recording the next release getting into the studio figuring out ways to do that on a budget um and doing so like i said without a a professional recording budget Uh, luckily in 2017 there's tons of ways to get the most out of your recording whether it's in a bedroom or garage And uh, to weigh in on the subject, we've invited Tom Tierney, co-owner and engineer at Brooklyn's Spaceman Sound Studio. Tom has been recording at Spaceman uh, and elsewhere for over nine years, uh, working with artists across all genres. Uh, Some of the artists he's worked with from the control room include Netherlands, A Place to Bury Strangers, Slothrust and Kid Millions. Uh, He's also, you know, a musician himself, and he's handled vocals, guitar, bass, keys, all other instruments as a bandmate in projects like Tidal Arms big tree landlady and warship just to name a few Tom how you doing good how you doing today good man Um, thanks for coming in thanks for dropping some knowledge on us thanks for having me great and so you know the idea of the series is to be focusing on how you can be getting the most out of your music with uh, a, a little to no budget uh, but we all know that when it comes to recording there's gonna be some sort of budget required uh, and Tom's gonna be able to help us sort of weigh in with his uh, years of experience on different working with different budgets so we're we're lucky to have them. So uh first and foremost if you want to just introduce yourself uh to the listeners by letting us know just a little bit about your background not only as an engineer and producer but as a musician as well.
1: Uh so again my name's Tom Tierney. Um I grew up in Boston, Mass, uh playing in kind of punk bands and stuff in high school and started recording probably about 15 years ago. Um <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, my first record I had, you know, saved up for my pizza place job or whatnot, uh, to pay for some studio time and, you know, made a, made something I was proud of, but it, you know, took a lot of time and money in, in a studio. And, and, uh, I was really inspired by some friends who kind of bought their own system and were recording at home in their basements and stuff and could put out records more quickly and consistently. And, um, so, you know, I, I bought a four track and then, a um, kind of a 16 track Fostex. To a recorder kind of thing. And then when I went to college, I was one of the few people who recorded. So pretty quickly I was, you know, engineering my friends demos and EPs and, you know, grad school application demos and stuff like that. And uh, I had a lot of fun doing it and, you know, they were kicking me bucks and pretty soon I was like, well, I could, you know, turn this into a career.
0: That's awesome. And it, it's funny too, because that's like such a typical path, right? There's always a guy in the band or a right. girl, I shouldn't say guy, um, who, <laughs> just takes that early initiative of recording. And uh, you, you know, you talk about the eight tracks, 16 tracks, that, that stuff. I mean, it all right. brings you back to playing in a garage and having that one friend take initiative and start doing it. So I guess totally. sort of what, you know, following that path, you know, the guy in the band or the scene, um, what kind of captured your attention about recording? You know, is it something you just felt like you had a knack for and you kind of jumped into it?
1: Um, I was always pretty o- preoccupied by the recording quality of records that I loved. And, uh, you know, uh, when i started actually recording myself i found that that was often the thing i was most inspired by um was you know just kind of finding the right sound and letting that inspire the performance or something like that um so yeah i don't know It was a
0: pretty natural progression cool so it's funny too because we always you know you've obviously come a long way to the point now where you're in a a major music city helping run a a recording studio in brooklyn Um, but looking back you know your origins behind the board, so to speak, uh, what, what kind of amazes you about what you were able to accomplish back in the day with just very few resources and experience for that matter.
1: Uh, it's funny. I, I recently, I was going back through some old hard drives and I, and I found a recording that I made probably 12 years ago or something that was, uh, pretty intentionally low was for a cassette split release or something, you know, but, uh, but it highlights this question really well. It was, I think probably two or three mics, um, you know, three or four piece arrangement, uh going into a little Behringer mixer, mono into a cassette deck, like one of those Panasonic cassette decks you find at a yard sale for ten bucks kind of thing. And I listened to it and I I swear it's my favorite recording I've ever made. And it's distorted, it's blown out as hell. I mean it's just everything wrong. But uh the spirit, the energy, the vibe is really there. And, you know, it's probably because it was just so, you know, fast and fun and we were with friends and it was like we were all listening to each other, you know, there was no, you know, the music is what made it happen. And the, the kind of lo-fi element of it and the tape just totally bl- blowing
0: out adds a really nice quality. And like, I wouldn't change a thing. That's know? awesome. Uh, and you know, just in time for the current trend of cassette tape. exactly. So I guess on the other end, I mean, is there anything you look back and you're like, Oh my God, what was I trying to do there?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, a lot of things that uh, mostly stuff with drums, uh, it's, <laughs> It's really easy to mess up a drum recording, uh, you know, and especially if, if you haven't experimented that much with uh, getting microphones in phase with each other, it's really easy to just kind of make a really lifeless drum recording. Um, and uh, so there, there are some things looking backwards, like, oh man, if I had known about phase correlation, right. I, this could be a really amazing, you know, recording of a cool performance, but uh, instead it's this kind of choked, you know,
0: sterile recording or something. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I think, you know, even as someone who doesn't spend any time in the studio, drums is just something you hear about in terms of tracking. It's just like okay, you gotta 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 get this one right, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, cool. So before we d- like you know d- dive into some of the tips, um, you know, one thing I've talked to a lot of studio owners about is sort of when an artist uh, or a band should really start to consider. Um, Budgeting for a mm-hmm. pro- professional studio experience. What is there a time or or do you, an, do you have any idea of sort of when artists should really start to seriously consider that sort of thing? Uh, do you think it varies by genre or is it sort of just uh, the same across the board? I do think it varies by
1: genre, but in general, I think it's probably smart to think about budgeting right when you make the decision, okay, this is going to actually be a record and not just a single or something, you know, or just a fun recording experiment or something. Sure. Um not just for recording. I mean, one thing I find with a lot of clients is that it's, um, you know, people sometimes forget in the moment that the recording is only part of the cocktail of what it costs to put a record out, you know, yeah, especially if you're sure. doing a physical release or PR or anything like that, distribution and whatnot. Um, so I feel like it's smart to to think about it right away. I mean, at least when you're going from the, you know, writing or demoing phase into actually, you know, recording so many styles these days can be done completely in the box, like on your laptop, you know, you can have, uh, you know, electronic EDM hip hop records or something, you know, never actually have any audio recorded until vocals get laid down or something, which could be towards the end of the process. So you may be kicking around beats or, you know, kind of background tracks or, or whatnot on your computer for, you know, months or years before you actually get to the point of recording it. So in that situation, I think it, it matters much less when you decide to go into the studio or buy a microphone or sure. do the thing that takes it to the next level. Uh, but if you're recording in, you know, uh, like a, maybe like a live pop record or like a metal album or something that's going to require, you know, a big space and a bunch of microphones and, you know, an engineer who really knows what they're doing or something, then it's good to start thinking about it pretty early.
0: Right on. Um, and to that point, you know, uh, living in a time where it's really uh, building a a space to record uh, is pretty, it's become more and more accessible. So, um, you know, at this point, do you think there's like a difference between being able to just record a a few personal projects and what would be like a a super makeshift studio uh, versus building out like a fully functional, uh, you know, bedroom studio?
1: Uh, I think the difference sort of depends on the intended goal. Um, If, what you're making is sort of a, you know, a folk record or hip hop or something that kind of requires just one mic maybe, you know, um, and some overdubs, then if it works for you, I mean, if your bedroom studio is delivering the audio that you are looking for, then there is no difference between a, you know, makeshift studio or like a functioning studio that just happens to be your bedroom. Sure. Um, but if you're recording drum kits, live bands, stuff like that, it's more likely that your bedroom isn't going to be able to deliver the space or the you know whatever to to actually give you what you want from your recording um so yeah it sort of depends on the goal sure but i've heard plenty of records that you know i've mixed plenty of records that people have brought to me and be like oh i just did it on this you know fifty dollar mic in my bedroom
0: like sounds great yeah it's impressive and 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 that's i guess that's what i was trying to get is that there's a way or there are ways these days to really get away with a lot doing a little oh uh, yeah and and i always you know i've i've been to people's you know bedroom studios so to speak and you could tell there's like Certain level they get to where it's like, oh, I'm kind of pleased with this product. I'm going to keep kind of pushing further and buying more. And, and, oh, yeah. And who who needs a studio right now? I can do this all here. Uh, especially when you're working with a lot of synthesizers and, and drum beats and stuff like that. Absolutely.
1: And I mean, one thing I have found a lot um, is, you know, people can, especially if you're working on a budget, you can only afford so much studio time. Yeah. But if you're in your bedroom, you could do a million takes, you know, and comp together the perfect performance, you know. Whereas like maybe you have two hours in a studio to cut the vocal. And, you know, so I've had a couple of times where somebody comes in with demos that sound amazing. The performances are incredible. They're full of life and inspiration and intimacy and whatnot. And may not sound perfect, but it could be edited or mixed into something that's really amazing sounding. But the performance is there, whereas then you go in and you spend, you know, money on like Couple hours, and you can't quite get that performance because you don't have the time, or you're psyching yourself out because you're in the studio and yeah. you know, pressure or whatnot. Um, and then you end up with a record that doesn't feel as good as one that sounds technically,
0: you know, not as high quality or right. Whatever. That meant yeah. that mental clock starts ticking, and well, I guess right. the literal clock starts ticking as well, and it yeah. starts to kind of play tricks on your brain while you're trying to do something creative.
1: Right. So, I mean, there's really something to be said for just the like, uh, yeah, mental and physical space and time that you have when you're in your own environment to just kind of exercise your ideas. You know, if you have a, like, even, if you have a recording chain, that's even like remotely high quality, or at least, you know, of some quality, then um, it's likely you're going to be able to record something that is keepable, you know,
0: or is mixable into something that's really great. Sure. Uh, And so when it comes to uh, folks who are, you know, uh, paying more attention to their home studio or their home recordings, however DIY that might be. Um, Do you think there's like any elements that uh, artists jumping into this tend to pay too much attention to or sort of um, focus on too much that uh, is, is there sort of like a a common area where they just zero in on just a bit too much?
1: That's a good question. Um, One, I feel like, so one thing I feel like is uh, I often see happen is that people will spend too much money on any one part. Often because they've heard, you know, a Neumann microphone is the thing that's going to make your record good, or like, you know, a Neve preamp or something like that. Whereas, you know, if you spent, if you spread that money out across your chain and you know spend a couple hundred bucks on each thing or whatever, it's much more likely you're going to get a great result than if you spend, you know, a thousand or more on one piece and then, go, I mean, you know, I don't mean to throw out numbers, sure. but you know what I'm saying, and then skimp out on other parts. Um, so that's one thing I notice when people are building studios. is just like I think it it helps to. Kind of spread the love as far as that goes. And then, you know, if you need to upgrade, then it'll, it'll last because the other elements of the chain will
0: support, you'll be able to hear that upgrade that you made. Sure. I think I, uh, like anything else with gear, right? People kind of get fixated on brand names. They get fixated on, on models and right. they, they get lost in message boards and totally. <laughs> there's just, I mean, there's a scene out there and it's cool if an artist is, you know, uh, attempting this recording, um endeavor and then they find that like you they were super fascinated by it and they want to learn more that's always a good thing right absolutely Uh, but at the same time you know it's easy to get lost in the in the in the different sort of lore around certain gear oh yeah absolutely and i mean you know on that note do you think there's anything um that are sort of Uh, Aside from the need to obviously kind of spread out what budget you're working with when it comes to that chain, Uh, is there anything that you feel like in the recording process that sort of goes overlooked that artists don't realize until they maybe hand their their demo or their or their finished product to a a mastering engineer or something like that?
1: I think one thing that doesn't get quite enough attention. I know it seems silly, but it's just tuning. Sure. You know, I mean, it's less of a thing with synthesizers, but. I feel like people don't pay quite enough attention to tuning and it's amazing what can happen if you have some, you know, you're not that happy with the sound or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's locked into place with tuning and it just opens up and everything sounds amazing all of a sudden. And, you know, all the same gear, the same people, the same instruments, same environment. But just making sure that everything is like really musically harmonizing well together. I mean, you could be recording into. You know shoebox
0: or something, would be fine <laughs> yeah. tuning people tuning. Yeah, it's funny because you go to shows and there's plenty of time and attention spent to tuning. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah <exactly. laughs> on stage, right?
1: Uh, but importantly, sorry, no, no, please. Importantly, uh, you know, on top of just like, oh, I used a tuner, my guitar's in tune. You know, the sort of intonation of the instrument, like, either you, you know, m- maybe spend a little time setting up your instrument yourself. Say, say let's use guitar as an example, sure. Um, you know, you can learn how to set up your guitar yourself or you can bring it into a guitar store or something and have somebody set it up for you. Then it's more like, you know, you can have the low E string, let's say, you know, show that it's perfectly in tune on tuner. And then as you play up the neck, it can be completely out of tune. It's just like where on the neck, you know, is that an alignment issue or is it? It's, there's a cocktail of issues. Um, we could have another podcast about that, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but, uh, but yeah, so the, the kind of generally the instrument's ability to internally stay in tune and and kind of cohere with other instruments is is huge no that
0: makes sense and i, I mean i can see how it goes overlooked as well right you know, especially with all the technology we have laid out to even just tell us that we're in tune and then right. everything sounds good. right right exactly uh okay so for artists who you know obviously we know they're not gonna have a plethora of choices when it comes to uh you know a venue or a space to record in when they're setting up their own um their own studio or their own just recording environment uh, but are there any types of rooms in your experience that you've seen or heard or been a part of that you specifically advise against getting started in This is a great question. Um absolutely bathrooms. Everybody
1: okay. everybody thinks recording in a bathroom is a good idea and it's the it's not a good idea. <laughs> 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 I mean it can it can be but you got to want it. Uh you know, bathrooms sound great because you or you know, say so you're singing in the shower, right? Sure. That sounds great because you're seeing right against a reflective wall. It's coming right at you as if it was being recorded and spat out from a speaker, you know. Uh, but you're the sound source and the listener in that in that case. In the case of there being a microphone in there, you're getting all those reflections off the wall going into the microphone and canceling each other out. Their sound waves are entering at different times and there's phase cancellation. If you remember physics class, waves can cancel or, you know, whatever. I, I, don't, I don't know if people will know about phasing. <laughs> but... Um, but there will be phase cancellation, and, and uh, things can end up sounding kind of hollow or or washy or you know, otherwise, um, just strange. Sure, um, so if you want that, it can be a cool choice. Uh, and you, you have know, quick access to a uh, toilet flush at that <laughs> right? sound, exactly. You want that whoosh, yeah, um. <laughs> Uh, but like, you know, we, I recorded something in the bathroom recently uh, with a band who intentionally wanted that sound and it was like a fun th- thing, but it wasn't, you know, not for everyone. Right. Exactly. It, it's a choice to make. They they were very experienced with recording themselves and they made that choice intentionally. Okay. Um. But I would say a good space to get started in um, would be, you know, again, I know that there are um, people don't necessarily have have a choice over this, but, um, you know, medium sized room, ideally high ish ceilings. Um, and I mean, this is kind of ideally speaking for your first recording sure. room or whatever. Um, and ideally the walls are not parallel or the ceiling and floor are not parallel. Uh, it just gives the sound waves. Really? Yeah. It just makes it so that the reflections don't kind of just ricochet around kind of back against each other and kind of spreads out the, uh, the reflections. And that's cool.
0: I definitely would not have thought of that.
1: Yeah. Uh, that, that that would help a lot. Um, so, you know, a small room you can do, but you kind of have to deaden it a lot with sound treatment. And a big room is kind of hard to wrangle sometimes, but can be really fun if you know how to use it.
0: For sure. And it's funny that you mentioned sound treatment because, uh, you know, I know even back in when I was playing in a garage and we would get the egg crate shells or whatever, the egg crates bedding things to sort of, you know, A, annoy my mom less and B, try to get some sort of sound that we could play around with. But uh, let's talk about soundproofing on a small budget. Are there any sort of like classic recommendations for this? Uh, Has the game been elevated since I've been trying to soundproof a garage? (laughs) Um,
1: So one thing to discuss here is the difference between soundproofing and sound treating. Soundproofing is tough. Uh, near impossible on a small budget. Yeah. I mean, sound is like water and if there's a leak, it'll escape and you know, so, um, soundproofing is going to be really, is going to be difficult, but sound treating can get you a long way to make your recordings better. Um, you may still get that siren from outside in your vocal mic sometimes, but, uh, but it'll make your recordings better. So, you know, a big thing here is just, you know, the, the first reflection you get off a wall going into a microphone is going to compete with the sound going from your voice, let's say, in this case, into the microphone. Okay. Um, so the best thing to do is to try to deaden wherever that reflection is coming from. So a good way to visualize where a sound reflection is coming, com- coming from is a mirror, because that's going to show you a, a reflection point. Um, so a good place to start is between the, the microphone and your sound source. And the speakers and your ears. So speakers in your ears is actually a good place to start because then you can tell if anything else is being weird. Right. Um, so a good place to do this is to sit at your desk and place a mirror on the wall and move it until you can see your speaker in the mirror, your speakers in the mirror. OK. And then when you can, that means that there's going to be a reflection coming from those speakers to your ears. So then you want to put like a blanket or some sort of sound baffle or you, or those great egg, egg <laughs> mattress pads <laughs> or something like that. Uh, at that reflection point, and it's going to kill that immediate reflection, which will help the clarity of your mix a lot. That's awesome.
0: That's very innovative.
1: Yeah, it, it'll it'll help. It'll go a long way. And you know, the walls are probably the best thing. And you know, the ceiling will help a lot. Obviously, it's a little harder to mount something on the ceiling with any weight. Um, and uh, and then yeah, with, again, if you're recording something and you you know you have a small closet, let's say, then do the same thing between you know the sound source
0: and your microphone. Make a little iso booth, right? Yeah, exactly. Very cool. So as someone who uh, I, I do not personally dabble in any engineering, I can fully admit that, <laughs> um, but between just being around musicians and, and, and running the blog, uh, you know, I feel like I hear and read a lot about proper miking of instruments for bands. Uh, I know that's an important element. Uh, can you kind of go into that a little bit and cover what artists, you know, on, on a stricter budget can be doing better in this space when it comes to miking?
1: first thing thing to think about is what your microphone is intended for and how it picks up sound. Right. So, you know, a microphone is like a camera's lens. So you have wide angle mics and you have kind of, uh, you know, telephoto mics you could say. And, um, uh, so knowing how it's going to pick up the sound is going to, is going to help you, you know, it's going to bring you a long way to getting a, a better result. So, you know, if you put a microphone that, um, is sort of directional, like a cardioid is what I mean. That would be a a kind of directional polar pattern. Um, A polar pattern is the term for how a microphone picks up sound. Okay. um, Directionally, that is. Um, So if you put a directional microphone, say, on your snare drum and your drum kit, uh, then it's going to pick up mostly the snare drum with a little bit of bleed of the other drums. But if you put up like an omnidirectional mic, which is, you know, it it picks up sound from every direction, then you're going to get your whole drum kit in that snare mic with just a little bit more snare drum. So if you want to have a, a a channel, you know, come up that's only your snare drum, then you want to have the kind of directional one with a little bit of bleed than your whole
0: drum kit. But it's says you know, snare on that face. Do whatever. you feel like people tend to overlook that in terms of how they set their mic up and it's just sort of one size fits all? Sort of. In their mind, I guess.
1: Yeah, I I think there. Yeah, I I think it would be a good place to start, at least, you know, when you buy a mic or or researching mics. To really look at kind of how it, how it's gonna pick up the sound and like how that relates to what you intend to do. Um, if you have a really beautiful, you know, say like church or concert hall or something, you're recording a choir or something like that, maybe you want to only buy on the directional mics or something, you know, I don't know. Sure. But if you're recording, you know, of uh, your voice in your bedroom, you probably want to uh have something more directional so that it's, you know, if it's focusing on something in front of it, it's also rejecting something behind it. So, you know, it can reject the computer's hum or the street's sirens. Right, all the stuff it's going
0: to pick up on an army,
1: right? Right, right, exactly. So, um, yeah, I think it's just
0: knowing your mics is a big big thing. And to that point, I guess, you know, we've we've talked about this a little bit on the blog. Um, A guy named Scott Wiggins did a little breakdown for us about uh, the difference between, you know, $100 mics and $3,000 mics. Uh um, And sort of ties into what we were talking about earlier, kind of getting lost in the... Uh, the gearhead kind of culture and, right. and maybe overpaying uh, do you know without going too far into brands and and, and pricing is there you know in, in terms of different genres is, is there uh, any advice you have for getting the most bang for your buck with a microphone or with a set of microphones
1: uh yeah i'd say bang for your buck a good place to start is always going to be like the short sm58 or 57 you know, I mean, you can record anything with those mics and they cost about a hundred bucks and, uh, you know, you can use it as a hammer if you lose yeah, your sure. hammer. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. Um, Very yeah. Utilitarian. Right, right. And you can scale up from there and there's plenty of alternatives
0: to those mics, uh, but it's a good place to start. Cool. And speaking of good places to start, uh, we all know that, you know, technology has elevated the home recording experience entirely. Um, in terms of hardware, what do you consider to be some just like absolute basic necessities, whether it's PC or Mac, laptop, desktop? Uh, when it comes to getting the most out of uh, the technology available? Uh, I'd say the
1: biggest thing is your recording interface. Okay. So, you know, these days, your recording interface is going to um, put all of the parts of the recording chain, except for the, you know, computer and microphone and speakers and stuff into one box. So you've got your mic preamp, your analog to digital converters, digital to analog, you know, all those things uh, in into one unit. So, you're gonna want to make sure that's like at least decent quality so that you you know are capturing clean audio and hearing it cleanly um so there's a you know a wide spectrum of interfaces you can get from 50 bucks to you know use your imagination (laughs) um but uh yeah i I would say that that's a a really good place to you know make sure that you're getting something quality and and you can get something high quality for you know 200 250 and i mean less as well you know especially if you use um but I mean, stuff from Focusrite, Universal Audio, Apogee—all these companies make great things in that price range.
0: Sure, and you know, as we continue to talk about this stuff, and we, you know, we start to drop some prices um, on, on you know, estimated prices on some stuff. It's important to keep in mind, you know, I mean, talking to a guy like Tom here, that you can make money back doing this in some in oh, some yeah. regard. I mean, if you if you're at the point where you're starting to build like a a, a station for yourself here, and you're kind of catching the bug and you're really into it you're in a scene you're working with other artists you you can make yourself available to them and you know you can charge them as well it's not that crazy absolutely um so consider that when we start to drop when we start talking about prices that you know the better you get at this the more you can actually create even more of a sustainable career on the side uh doing this sort of thing in your local scene absolutely um and on the other side of the i guess technology coin um what do you recommend for artists or i guess we can call them first-time engineers um what do you recommend they look into as far as what what a digital audio workstation uh would be you know are there any ways to sort of save money in this area or do you think it's just a necessary spend and you're, you you got to kind of get ready for it
1: that's a good question i i love logic personally i think it's a great platform and and it's it's pretty inexpensive it's definitely a lot cheaper than it used to be um the I know, and Ableton also is super popular. I know there's different levels that cost different amounts of Ableton. Um, it's a different workflow than a typical DAW, but sure. it works great. Um, I, ha- I know there are some free DAWs like Reaper or Audacity that I haven't really spent time with, but I, I've heard great things about them. Okay, um, GarageBand is an awesome place to start for Mac users. I, it's a I like know, to hear that.
0: That's good because I mean, I remember when GarageBand came out, and it was like, okay, here we go. Right, but I mean, you know. 2017 to hear someone actually have something complimentary to say about that that's good reinforcement for people using it
1: oh yeah it's great it's basically just logic light you know it's kind of all the complicated stuff is behind the curtains and and there's very little between you and your creation so it's awesome pro tools is also great um i feel like it works better in a studio environment where you're also using analog gear and kind of treating it more as a tape machine um uh whereas something like logic is a little bit more kind of All the bells and whistles are inside at your fingertips in the computer
0: cool that's that's really good to know too because i mean pro tools is such a brand name among anyone you know i mean logic obviously as well but when you when you think you know recording you definitely think pro tools and uh, that's good advice especially if you know you're just looking to capture so much knowing this is a good example of knowing what works for what scenario and if you feel like pro tools is really probably a little bit better off in the studio you know it makes a lot of sense
1: yeah, I, I think Pro Tools is great if you're going to be using an analog mixer or analog, you know, compressors or stuff like that. You know, we have a bunch of analog at the studio. And when it, whenever we're doing a, you know, kind of larger scale analog mix or, or you know, something like that, I'll usually use Pro Tools. Um, whereas if it's anything where I know I'm going to be mixing in the box or there's going to be a lot of synthesizers or stuff like that, I, I pretty much always use Logic. Cool.
0: Um, and I know this could be uh, another episode in, in, its, in and of itself. Um but let's talk a little, a little bit about mastering on a budget. Um, what kind of considerations should artists take uh, when mastering their music on a budget? You know, do you, Are there suggestions that, that you have to sort of save money on this process? Or is it a scenario where they, it's just a little bit of shopping, it's a little bit ho- about who you know? and Tell us a little more about that.
1: Well, so mastering is a little bit more of an optional thing than it used to be. You know, It started when it was like, okay, you have to get your tape onto a lacquer so it can pre- be pressed to vinyl. Right. So it was kind of a necessary conversion point. Now it's like, you know, oh, I mix a song. It's a wave file. Okay, they're having me upload a wave file. Why can't I just upload this? You totally can. There's nothing keeping you from uploading your wave file without it being mastered. Um, you know, the big reason to hire somebody else uh, to master your record is just another set of ears, potentially somebody who's, you know, a, a professional who has either the experience or the uh, equipment or the room to be able to kind of just be your safety net. Be sure. like, oh, there isn't too much sub bass. It's not going to blow out your speakers or it's not too loud. It's not, You know what I mean? Stuff right. like that. Um, so if you are doing everything else, if you wanted to spend money on one part of your process, mastering is a pretty good place to do that because it's, uh, or that is to say, in hiring somebody else. Sure. That's a pretty good place to do it. Um, but if you're not trying to do it at all and just want to do it yourself, um, I would say the biggest things to take into account are, you know, if mixing is the blending of the, all the different tracks to make a coherent song, then mastering is the blending of all the different songs to create a compare, coherent album. Um, so it's just kind of listening to all the different songs and making sure that that they're kind of comparable volumes. And, you know, one of them isn't like much brighter than another sure. one or much, you know, have much more sub audio. That's a big one is bass. Um, so, you know, you listen to it in a bunch of different environments and, you know, If on all of the systems that there's too much bass, then okay, turn on the bass. But if on one system, say it's really dark, uh, another system, it's really bright, then maybe it's okay because, you know, split the difference.
0: (laughs) Right. And I think think that's good advice too, especially if folks are working on, you know, super short EPs or, you know, even just a single where they they have a little bit of money laying around where they're like, okay, this is, we can maybe, you know, spend you know, upwards of $100 to pay someone we know to, to master this or, and, and I, you know, the more I talk to studio owners who are, you know, pulling in a certain amount of their revenue stream month to month, mastering remotely is pretty incredible. Uh, and yeah. it's, it, they're valuable relationships to have when someone is really into it. So it sounds like something where they can sort of choose to elevate or, or get to that point when they've elevated there, or like you said, sort of just kind of power through. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, cool. So we've we've kind of run through some of the different um, more technical s- uh, specifications around recording. I kind of wanted to go back to just super basic stuff before we wrap up. Um, just because we're talking about recording in small home-like spaces, uh, what do you think are just some super basic things that artists may already have lying around the house or around their space or their, re- their rehearsal place uh, that should be considered when embarking on recording? on a recording endeavor, excuse me, you know, stuff like headphones, furniture, cables, anything where it can make for a better experience.
1: Uh, headphones is a a big thing. Headphones and speakers. I mean, it's many different pairs of headphones and speakers that you can be listening to when you're making decisions on your mix or your master, uh, the better, right? I mean, you can just kind of make an average, no mix is going to sound perfect on every system, you know? So uh, the more you can kind of listen to different real world listening environments, the better. Um, Another thing is uh, a good, a good example of using some of found things is like I used to live with somebody who is a sculptor and he, for some art project, he had made 200 pillows for this project. So we had okay. 200 pillows laying around. So we just lined the ceiling with pillows and all of a sudden the room was a lot deader and it sounded great. Sure. Um, so there's, you know, maybe you have, um, maybe not 200 pillows, but maybe you got a bunch of blankets or, or I got something. a pillow guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe you have too many clothes and you can fill your uh, your
0: closet and make a little ISO booth or something. Cool. And, I, and, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, do you have any sort of recommend, like sort of last minute recommendations um, for artists who want to learn more in terms of jumping online and, and, and finding the right place to... to Uh, either collaborate with other people or just, you know, glean some advice from people who who are sort of specialized in this sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, going on forums and stuff and kind of reading up on, on, uh, you know, techniques and equipment and stuff is, is very useful. I mean, um, one thing to keep in mind when doing that is that it's just one person's opinion and there's no right way to do anything. And so a lot of people will be like, Oh, it's, you got to use this mic and you got to put it in this place. And you know, that works for them, you right. know, it may not work for you, but, uh, if you're looking for ideas,
0: it's a, it's a pretty good place to start. Cool. And, uh, you know, before we wrap up, I mean, are there any other, uh, you know, pieces of advice that you would offer to artists just sort of generally, uh, across the board when it comes to uh, getting started or, or maybe people who are a little apprehensive about, uh, embarking on this first recording project?
1: One thing I always, uh, think about and, um, you know, hope people will remember is that it's, it's really all about the music. It's about the song. It's about the performance. And, you know, if you have a great song, it doesn't matter how it was recorded, you know, and if you have a bad song and it was recorded great and nobody will care that it was recorded, you know, amazingly well. So at the end of the day, you know, it's really fun to experiment with stuff. And it's, you know, especially if, uh, you know, you're looking for something really high fi, or you're trying to enter this as a career, you know, or something like that. But, uh, you know, just, Make sure you're getting awesome performances and and the recording will, you know, carry it there.
0: Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you very much for coming in and doing this. Um, My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I think me. you've probably inspired some more ideas for future podcasts down the road in terms of more <laughs> technical stuff, so awesome. looking forward to that. Uh, but, Tom, by all means, I uh, want to give you a chance to sort of plug anything you got going on, your social media, uh, Spaceman Sound, website, shows, anything going on, let us know.
1: Uh, sure, yeah. The uh, The studio's website is spaceman-sound.com. Um, I'm playing in a couple bands right now. I'm playing a band called Sun Cruiser. we got a record coming out. Cool. Um a band called Cash and the Delights. Um we got some singles coming out soon. And um uh yeah, I think that's about it.
0: Cool. Check out those bands. Check out spaceman-sound.com. Um and please don't forget to subscribe to Music Made Me the Tunecore podcast. Uh rate us on iTunes and follow us on social media at tunecore all around. Till next time.